0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. How do we engage the world? Seems like a simple question, but it's not. Jesus gets in our hearts. He begins to change our lives. He begins to transform our story. He pulls us into the big story of the gospel there, what does that mean about our relationship to the world? And we're in this book of Daniel and um, we're just doing four weeks. Look at these incredible characters in the book of Daniel. You've got Daniel and his mates, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That's who their new names are. And they get pulled into this story where they are exiles in a foreign land in Babylon. And there is this really mean king named Nebuchadnezzar. And, um, and he's in control of this land, and they get pulled into this land. And in chapter 1, as Gabe shared last, last week, I'd advise you to listen to it as it sets up the, ch- the book. But he gets pulled into a story. They get, start living this life out, and they t- make big decisions to worship Jesus. They make big decisions to not submit themselves to the ways of Babylon. As the pressure comes from the king to try and change them and get their cultures to eat foreign foods and they don't submit themselves to that. They choose to follow their God. They choose to follow his ways and the favor of God comes upon them and they begin to see promotion in an exiled land. Here's what you've got to believe and see as you read a book like this. Number one, it's true. Seems like a simple thing. But I honestly believe we miss the truth and the power of this book. If we start to think as Daniel as some comic character Hollywood made up, that sounds great. He went into a foreign land and it would make a great Hollywood series. I believe that we would lose the power of this book and the power of what God is teaching us if Meshach, Shadrach, Shadrach, and Abednego were like three minions that went out in the story and, and it didn't really happen. But it's really cool for Christians to believe that that could happen. I don't know where you sit on that thing, but when I read the Word of God, these books in Daniel are history books. They're part of the history books presented to us through it, and it's really, really important that we engage it as that. It's really important that actually you choose to believe the Word of God, because I believe this book centers and challenges us as to how we live as exiles in a foreign land. Here's what the Bible says, we are exiles. We're not of this world. John 17 kind of reads this really confusing dynamic. It says, well, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Like I wasn't of this world, but be with them and sanctify them as I was sanctified. Would your power come upon them so they could be sanctified to bring glory to God? And we're kind of working all this out. But we're not from this world, from a different world. And God says, well, how do you engage culture? When you engage people, there's... A number one thing, there's your posture. I don't know if you know that. It's kind of, I can say, hey, Wayne, I love you. Or I can say, I love you. Or I can say, flip, I love you. It's very different. And what determines our culture is how we engage culture, how we engage the world around us. And the church has got these different positions about how it engages culture. Ed Steadsa presents it. Number one, we, we love to condemn culture. Sometimes. We, we get on a high horse of Christianity in the four walls of the church, and we spend time with Christians alone, and we chuck these love bombs at the world like, you're a sinner. And if you've seen the headlines, and, and, and especially a radical, is this ringing out? Ooh. Is this Okay. Can we turn it down a little bit, maybe? And, um, and, and we con- we, we're seen as condemning culture, and it brings a posture where we can't engage culture. Then we're seen as critiquing culture, and we come along, and we are the Nick Mallet of the world. Everything to say, thank you, Justin, for that. Everything to say about what the world is doing wrong, but not really prepared to run on a field to change it. Then we go in these other two where we begin to copy culture, and that's a whole other posture. We just become like the world, and we have no differences between us. And that's not what we call to either, or we consume. We are just of those. We consume the world. We're going to spend eternity with Jevin, so let's just maximize our time on earth. But all of these positions affect our posture. Towards the world around us. And I would say, as Jesus left us this great commission that very much involves our engagement on the world around us, He wants us to get handles on how to engage the world around us. And I believe this book of Daniel gives us some incredible handles. Let me give you an example. In chapter two, we're not going to read through the whole of chapter two, but the king gets a bit mad and he has this dream. And he says to all his wise men and the prophets and all the dudes in the land, he says, Hey guys. I need you to interpret my dream. And they're all like, well, we've done that before. We can do this thing. And he says, but there's a little trick. You've actually got to tell me what the dream is. Uh, You're not just, I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to make it easy. And if you get it wrong, you're dead. And they say, but king, no one, the king has ever asked that of his wise men. No king has ever asked that of anyone. How can you ask that of us? He says, well... Actually, I am. And if you can't do it, you're all dead. He says, gather up all the wise men. Gather up all the satraps and all what these guys are called. Get them together and kill them if they cannot interpret. And Daniel has been pulled into the story. He's been given a position of profile. And he hears of this because he's included in this group. And he says, hey, king, can I have a moment? And it's an amazing thing as he navigates this section of scripture. It says this, Daniel spoke to him, the king with wisdom and tact and then presents the dream which has implications on the future kingdom and tells the future story of a coming king and restoration of a kingdom but he presents it with wisdom and tact. I don't know about you but I'm often embarrassed by Christians on Facebook. It's like, like, you know, sometimes I've got three sisters we did crazy things in our home sometimes you know you'd get a little bit embarrassed by your family sometimes. That's not you. You've never had that. I've got three older sisters. They would sing. They would do crazy things. They're a little embarrassed. Sometimes I get a little embarrassed of my Christian family on Facebook. Sometimes, because it lacks wisdom and it lacks tact, and it's this shotgun approach to the world out there, and it's embarrassing because it's almost as if no one who's never, no one who who it doesn't go to church is on Facebook. It's like Facebook is purely for Christians. Facebook isn't for Christians, people. It's for the world. We're just part of it which means we've got to understand our wisdom and our tech in engaging the world. Why? Because my life is for the gospel. My life is for the gospel. My life is for the glory of Jesus. My influence, whether it's on Facebook or the parents I meet at the school my kids go to or what I do with my time and my energy, is for the glory of Jesus Christ so that those who are far from Christ can come to Him and begin to walk a journey of becoming like Him. It's what my life is for. And, um, Daniel walks this road. And he says, actually, I'm going to engage a furious king with wisdom and tact. And that's how I'm going to win in over. You know what happens? The, Daniel finds favor with the king again. And then we get to Daniel chapter 3. And it's an amazing chapter. And I want to paraphrase the first few verses, then read from verse 13. But this is what's happening in the situation. The king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to give you some handles on what that king could be. But King Nebuchadnezzar makes this massive statue. He says, the people don't have enough things to do in their life. I'm going to build this massive statue. And then every time the harp, the lyre, the the zither, what's it called? Zither. I don't know what that is. Anyone know what a zither is? It's a stringed... Michael can play it. And um, anytime any of these instruments ring out, I want every person, especially the Lanis, the prefects, the guys being put in positions of power, I want them to fall flat on their faces and worship this idol that I have now created, this new God. It's a decree. It's not an option. It's not a possibility. It's like if you feel like it, if it's convenient, if you are in the toilet, you are meant to fall flat on your face and worship this God. It's how serious it is. Okay, I didn't plan that part, but it would be appropriate. <laughs> and it's radical. And then you encounter these three, because there's Daniel and then his three mates whose name we see in chapter one, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Commonly known as Meshach, Yorshach, and bungalow. They're the same guys, just different names. But they get this instruction, and they get exposed because the world is watching. And this is where we get to, And it's verse 13 because the king hears that these guys who've been put in positions of power in Babylon, so they are exiles now in Babylon, and they are given positions of power, won't do what he's asked. Pick it up in verse 13. Can you stand with me, actually? Verse 13, halfway through. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took the boys up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowned around them. I'm going to jump to verse 29. This is the king. So amazed, he says, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Come on. Come on. Can you take your seats, please? Here's the first point. We worship before a watching world. We worship before a watching world. The world's always watching. These guys were going along with their business. They thought, actually, if we just carry on, don't change what we do, no one will notice that we don't worship the God of this world. And yet the world is watching what we do worship and what we don't worship. It says these amazing things. But there are some Jews upon you who you have set over the affairs of Babylon who pay no attention to you, your majesty. It's like, actually, what is that? Well, there's always an enemy and he's always watching and he's always looking to expose and challenge, always. And as we navigate life in this story, there is an enemy and the enemy is always watching and people are always watching your story. I'm not talking about worship on a Sunday. See, I was part of a group of young guys worshiping radically at a church where there were probably 1,200, 1,300 people in that meeting. And we had a visiting preacher and he came and, and we worshiped hard at the front. I was young, probably 15 years old, worshiping. And this young, this, this pre- visiting preacher stopped in the middle of his preach, and he spoke to us, the young bucks. said, you guys, it's easy to worship when you're young. If you're worshiping in 20 years' time, that's when it matters. Never forget that. See, this is easy. Raising my hands. Actually, it's easy. For some, it's a challenge. But once you get in the groove, it becomes what you do. It's who you are. I'm a worship of the living God until I understand that every single thing that I do, the way I treat my boss, the way I treat my wife, the way I I engage this world reflects of my worship. It's a radical, radical challenge. And three charges were brought against these young men. They paid no heed to the king. They did not serve his gods, and they refused to worship. And the charges are brought to him. See, the world is always, always watching. I used to be in the marketplace. I had the privilege of being in marketing, and we would go around it twice a year. I would travel around the country launching new products. And what would happen is we would come in as the young marketing guys. We would have the, the marketing spend, and we would take the sales forces out for lunch. It's what the normal thing was. And... Um, engaging people who are older than us, engaging people who had worked longer than us, had more experience than us, but we would launch the products as part of the Young Bucks coming, bringing the marketing deal around the country, and then we'd fly out, fly in the morning, have, do the launch, do lunch, and fly out. And it was great. It was going well until I flew into one city, and um, just before I did my presentation for the new launch, I asked the guy there, I said, hey, where are we going for lunch? And he gave me a name. That sounded... Quite more exotic than Burger King. Sounded more colourful than the Beef Baron. It 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 sounded like there might be more entertainment there than just good steaks. So I asked him just before I said, So tell me more about this place. He said, Well, just really good steaks. And it just didn't leave me. And I got up and I presented, and as we got down, he said, Come, let's go to lunch. I said, Is this a strip club? Oh. Well, really good steaks. No, is this a strip club? Yes. See, he had a sales team of 30 guys and what would happen is the marketing guy would fly in every year and the marketing guy would just accept that this team in this city were a bunch of guys and they went to a strip club, paid for by their multinational company and everyone was happy. And all of a sudden, two worlds collide. Poof. Mark. The believer who has seen the God of the miracles, who've done miracles, who'd seen his faithfulness and his goodness over many years since a 14-year-old kid who'd been given this opportunity by God, confronted by a world that doesn't recognize my God, confronted by a God that world that worships themselves, engaging and, and brokenness throughout, those two worlds collide in a moment. And you've got decisions to make. And I just said to this guy, by the grace of God, we're not going to that restaurant. He said, what do you mean we're not going to the restaurant? I said, I'm not paying for you, these 30 men to go to lunch at a strip club because I'm not going to a strip club. And he, he, he engaged in a, a colorful manner back towards myself and then decided to phone my MD who by the, fa- by the grace of God, I'd found favor with. An amazing lady, a tough lady, a corporate lady, but she'd backed me to get that role. And she backed me. And so what happened is we went to another restaurant. Lunch was a bit awkward for myself as I had 30 angry men looking at me. I had stolen their party plans and we ate lunch. I didn't get a lift with them to the the airport. I caught a taxi and I flew out of there. And um, you know what? I'm so grateful to God for that. See, at the time, I wasn't going to be a preacher. That wasn't a story I would tell from a pulpit one day. It was just a normal guy getting on with normal life, facing a reality that we live in a world that is foreign to the world that God has pulled me into. It's just normal. I didn't want a preaching story. It was just, I, I was ambitious. There were, and there were a whole bunch of King Nebuchadnezzar shouting. Let me tell you what they look like. They look like self. The fact that I like being liked. Maybe that's not you, but I do. I like being liked. I like if people liked me, I grew up as a young kid and I would do stupid things so that my friends would like me. Once I jumped off the roof of a double-story building because my friends dared me and I knew I'd get a laugh. I landed, hit my own head on my own knees, and it was out cold. Only for the neighbor downstairs to find me lying on their lawn like this. Didn't know how I got there, but I jumped off their roof. Because at eight years old, before the grasp of Jesus in my life had got a hold of my identity that was desiring people to like me, I would do crazy things. So when you're faced with a situation like this, that I'm in a foreign city and no one will know about it, none of my friends will know, and probably my church readers won't, leaders won't know about it, what do you do? What about another Nebuchadnezzar? One called man's opinion. It's a big one. Sometimes we, we spend our lives and we spend so much of our integrity trying to please people we don't even like. Let's be honest we've got to get over these things. Why? Because there's a king and his glory at stake. What about ambition? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, of ambition. I was an ambitious young corporate guy climbing a corporate ladder that needed to jump through some hoops to climb a corporate ladder because I thought that was my life. And all of a sudden, I'm engaging a senior man, senior in position to myself. I'm fighting him on an issue of morality. It's not a great career move. What about another king that maybe is a little honest for you, but I was a 24, 25-year-old man who'd never been to a strip club, and I was inquisitive. I'll be honest. There was something inside him I said, Flip, great excuse to go and do something. I probably, my inquisitive nature, and, and, and want to just see. Just being honest. Is that too honest for you? Your pastor might want to go see something that the world thinks is great. I'm grateful to say I've never been to a strip club. But it doesn't mean there was a Nebuchadnezzar shouting at me in that moment. And I tell you this story not to bring any glory to myself, but I didn't know at that time what God had for me. I didn't know that we would stand here this time. All I knew was I was 25 years old and I had to make a decision for God or not for God. That's it. You make a decision. And don't tell me that the king told me I have to do it. No, the king will always tell you what you had. But God always has another way. Always. And this book challenges us. And here's the thing. The world is always watching. They're watching us worship. Point number one. Point number two is what we bow to, we will end up bound to. Gabe said wow because he actually gave me the point. (laughs) Put it there, buddy. (laughs) There we go. It's a good one. It's a good one. What we bow to, we will always end up bound to. Always. And here comes the call. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Well, I would say if they did worship it. Yeah. If they did worship it, how much worse. And these three young men, the Bible the commentators say that they were all probably about 18 years old. They had their whole life in front of them. Let me tell you what would have gone through my head at 18 years old. Surely God wants me to stay alive for his glory. And I would have gone through this whole rationalization process because I'm a deal maker, And I would start rationalizing how God surely doesn't want me to die in a very hot, fiery furnace. And would rather I stay alive because he made me after all. We're good at this, guys. We do it. All the time, and all it is is compromise that waters down any faith story and potential and power. It does. What is the big issue here? Who is God? That's what Daniel's all about. Not who is this king. No, I so know who God is, I don't care who this king is. But the kings are loud, and they're loud in our ears. And no one's denying that these pressures exist, and they're often a little bit different, and they take on different forms and shapes. Let me help you and give you a handle on what it looks like at the end of November. It looks like Christmas parties. Oh, Mark, you're touching. No, no, I'm being serious. I was in that world for 10 years. Every year, the Christmas party was the thing, and what happened at Christmas party stayed at Christmas party. That's the world I lived in, guys. At 24 years old, I would go into meetings in the advertising world and I was offered cocaine multiple times. My excuse to not do it was I've got such small nostrils, it wouldn't work anyway. And I really do. They're the smallest nostrils you've ever seen in your life. It was just the strategy God gave me to contend with that challenge. But Christmas parties were like, and I didn't realize, oh, as I entered in, I love a jaw. I love a jaw. So, the first year in the marketing world, I thought, hey, I'll put my hand up. I'll be on the party. They needed someone from first year who was first year in the business. I'll be on the organizing party until I realized this was more than just a Christmas party. It started at 12 o'clock, and by 4 o'clock, everyone was smashed, and anything was up for grabs. Like anything. Like, let's put your work colleague on a table. I'm going to suck a tequila out of your navel because it's Christmas party. And I'm not judging the world. My job is not to judge the world. My job is not to condemn the world. My job is to bring him glory. My job is to walk a road in a tough world that collides at certain moments in our life that look like a fiery furnace. And you've got decisions to make. Are you going to be that guy? That, that prude? You're going to be that guy who, who's going to step away when actually the party's just heating up. And at about quarter to five, my very first Christian, Christmas party, not Christian party, <laughs> I, I, I began to walk a road that felt like a very long road of loneliness. As I slunk out, I wasn't there condemning you sinners, I'm leaving. No, God says, wisdom and tact. In a moment when everyone's smashed, don't try to engage. Preaching the gospel, just wake up. It's not your job. Walk your road. The road God's given you and graced you to walk. Because right now, if they are outside of His blood and His covenant, they aren't graced to walk that road. But you walk that road. And as I began to walk that road out, I encountered a circumstance where one of my senior executives walked out of a bush with a young lady I worked with. And I realized these are two very different worlds. And I've got to choose which one I want to live in. I've got to choose. See there, it's work hard, play hard, and everything is justifiable. No, not everything is justifiable for the sons of the living God, because I live to please Him. I live to please Him. At 14 years old, I encountered the king. I, I, I wanted to run away so many times because at times it was hard because following Jesus offends my need to be needed, my need to be liked, my need to be understood. I like being understood, and yet a lot of my friends who I've walked with for 30 years do not understand me. I'm grateful to God that three of my best friends had the privilege of leading them to the Lord, mostly in 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 my kitchen or lounge over the years of friendship. But it didn't happen in year one. It happened in year 15 after they'd watched me worship for year after year after year. As a 16-year-old kid, highly insecure, very short, standing up and, and trying to be something for Jesus. I can't lie to you. There's a guy I lived with in boarding school right over there. Justin, who led worship tonight. We're in boarding school together. But when you walk a long road with Jesus, you're going to face some fiery furnaces, yeah. Yeah. and God's going to demand some decisions. Here's point number three: Stop making it someone else's decision. It's your call. Yeah. Yes, they were just 18. Yes, they were inferior to the king in the land. But here's the thing: it was still their call. Yeah. They could choose: obey the king and worship the, the false God, or face a fiery furnace. Yeah. They chose a furnace. And we live too much in the world. I'm a victim. Stop being a victim. Stop it. Make decisions to worship Jesus. Oh, it's the work function and I work in this industry. It's the industry. No, don't blame the industry. Worship God. I don't know. This has come across way stronger than when I was preparing it. And yet I feel a courage to preach it strongly. Why? Because we are not of this world. I've got the spirit of God inside him. I have God inside of me which means what I do with that and how I use that influence is so very important. Whether I am 15 and insecure, 19 and insecure, or a little bit older and still dealing with insecurities. It's still our call. And these three young men make a decision. They say this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. And then they say, but if he doesn't, we'll still worship him. We'll still praise him. Have you got a, but if he doesn't in you, because that's what faith looks like. But if he doesn't, I'll face that fiery furnace seven times hotter. And you know what God says? I'm not going to walk you around the fire. I'm going to take you right in there. I'm going to be with you. Stop trying to run away from the fires. I honestly believe Christians hiding with Christians all the time, filling their whole world up with Christians all the time, especially years down the line. Now, there's a place and time in new salvation like a newborn baby. You need some insulation, but that's got to come off as we grow up and we learn to stand. And we've got to have a world outside of the church. And you know what? We can be strong there. We can be strong there. We can be powerful there without being condemning, without being critiquing, without copying, and without consuming. We can be strong there and influential there just like these three men were. And I love that. And they say God is able. Faith isn't knowing the outcome. Faith is knowing and believing and trusting the only one who can affect the outcome. That's faith. Faith. I don't need to know the outcome. I don't know what the outcome will be when I had three kids in a world where it's really tough to raise kids. I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know God and I trust him. <laughs> you guys are right? Yeah. Two more quick points. The f- fourth one is this. God, God's protection follows faith. God's protection didn't kick in. And as they were walking and standing there, deciding to walk into a fire furnace, like, God, I need your thing. And a supernatural suit of anti-fire retardant came upon them. And they thought, well, I'm going to say, no. With their clothes and their rags, they walked in to the hottest fire as men died next to them, just walking them to the fire. They walked into that fire and the great, the mighty king, the God Almighty, protected them in that fire. You want the protection of the living God? Stop hiding from fires and walk with Him where He leads you, even if it doesn't make sense to our little minds. Stop working it out and self-rationalizing every other decision we can make and trust Him. Daniel is such an offensive gospel book. It's offensive to me. Why? Because it's offensive to everyone around me, people I love. People I've walked with for year after year of year. You go back to your twenty year reunion, when your ten year reunion you were a sales marketing manager, and at your twenty year reunion you're a preacher, perspectives change. People stop asking you stories like what you've done the last few years. They don't want to know you've been preaching the gospel. But God point number five is this God's promotion follows faith. I don't know about you, but I want the promotion of the living God. Supernatural promotion, the things only God can do. In my business, whether you're in business, I want the deals that only God could bring. Whether you're in the, in, the, in the education industry, you want the kids that everyone else has given up on, but you want to see that favor come upon them. See, it says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In the exile, in a foreign land, they get promoted. I want the promotion of God. See, here's the thing, as you think about that, I reckon if they'd bowed their knee, they'd done a good job, they probably will have got a promotion in time anyway. But it would have been a natural thing, a man-made thing. I want the promotion of the living king, where it doesn't make sense, and no one's going to understand, but God brings promotion. I want that. You know where it comes? After faith. And here's a a, a, a quote that I'm going to end on that has stirred me. It's a book that I read many years ago. Jim Simbala from a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and he says this as he was processing his life. He says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on my behalf. I want a Shadrach Meshach Abednego story in my life. I want a Daniel story in my life. I've called one of my children, Daniel, why? Because God is in control. He is powerful and able, and I want my kids and myself to live stories that will affront the powers and principalities of this world, but bring glory to God. I don't care if people remember my name, but if they would see Him, yeah, come on. will you see Him? Will you live a life where people can see Him, visibly see Him? Because your faith looks like something. Yeah. Young people in education systems and schools and vastities, your faith looks like something. Your love of Jesus and worship of Jesus, even in later years in life, it looks like something to those who are around you. And I'm telling you, it is a sign and wonder pointing to the living God. The book of Daniel is not just a nice story. It can shape you and give you courage in sexuality, finances, socialization, challenges. It can give you courage to make the big decisions. It's not even about... Is it sin or not a sin? Yes, there is sin and it'll rip apart. But there is a God who I want to live for. I want to die for. And if the gospel demands that I would die for him, I I want to do that. Because I will spend an eternity with him. Not a fanatical preacher. Just someone who really believes in this book. It tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 17, I want you to know the glorious father. If I asked any person in this room what you would describe your father as, I doubt there'd be a person in this room who would describe their father as glorious. And yet, this Bible describes my father as glorious. Doesn't matter if there's a fiery furnace or a lion's pit with lions inside. The safest place I can be is in the hands of the living God, the glorious father. Can we close our eyes, please? I feel like I've got courage in my bones. If you don't know Jesus and you haven't made a decision to place your life in the hands of the glorious Father, I feel like I can't just rush on and not give you an opportunity to make that decision tonight. If you're messing around and you feel like you're somewhere in the middle, get out of the middle and make a decision and watch God break into your story. Is there anyone here tonight who say, Mark, I haven't made that decision and I want that grace in my life. Can I pray with you right now? If there is anyone here, won't you just give me a wave, put your hand up quickly. I'd love to pray with you. Awesome. Amazing. Is there anyone else? Amazing. Jesus, the same king, the same father, the same power that was with Shemeshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in a blazing fire, seven times hotter than any fire, is with these amazing men today. And today, and woman washes them clean. A fire that was made to burn us to ashes is the same fire powered by the blood of the living God that washes us clean. And I thank you that today, forevermore, they are never the same. Your grace and your goodness pulls them into a new story, forever changed. We give you glory, King. I thank you, God. And I pray for every one of us here tonight, God. We read these books of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and there's something inside of us that goes, I want to live that life. I want to stop wimping out. I want want my faith to look like something that draws people to the living God. I pray, God, start with us. Start with us. For some, it's decisions on how we run the finances of our business. For others, it's decisions on environments we can place ourselves in right now, in environments we just can't. But I pray, living God, would your power be upon us to walk this life for your glory, King.